I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion, and then finish up with our third segment, Film Faves. Our respective 12 favorite movies around a particular topic in this episode we will be reviewing godzilla king of the monsters and then film phase will be going back to our year-long series counting down our favorite movies regarding the uh, decade with action movies of the decade our favorite action movies of the decade we hit the summer season it seems like a really great time to talk about action movies so that should be a lot of fun but uh, before we dive on into everything it's worth noting that shanna you actually recently were in your very first car accident so you've been out of work and uh, laid up a little bit trying to take care of yourself you make it sound, with your radio voice, you make it sound like it was this fantastic thing that happened. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your first accident. Oh my god. I Aww. really hope that not everyone has to even experience a first accident, never yeah. mind more than that. Yeah. Yeah, so how, how are you feeling? We're at this point, it's been a couple weeks since the accident. I think we're on day 11 or 12. Yeah, it happened shortly after the previous episode was recorded. I feel rather shit, yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of pain in the neck right now. There's a lot of pain in the hips. Is that me? The pain in the neck? Sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'm much shorter with my mood because there's a lot of pain I'm fighting to not cry about. Um, it's a very interesting process because now I will be driving and I'll be f panicked most of the time. Mm -hmm. I will even watch action movies like John Wick 3 Yeah, we watched today. And you'll see John Wick get thrown and bashed into something a couple times and, uh, you know, like a pinball ball. Yeah. And I'll think to myself, <laughs> I can't help but thinking now that I know what it's like. I'm like, huh. Well, he's having no downtime. There's no chiropractor appointment. There's no massage. There's no cupping. Yeah. There's no... He, you know, I think he got to have medication once throughout the film. You're starting and to feel those things. I'm starting to feel those things yeah. and, like, look very critically and, like, in a oh. very, like, push the glasses up. Well, actually, this is not realistic in <sighs> any stretch of the imagination kind of way. So it's, it's had a very interesting effect on my life, movie-wise. Right. Movie Fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about John Wick 3 in a bit here. And I guess we will dive into our week in review. Because you've been home, we've been able to watch quite a few things together. I wanted to start with a movie that it, last episode, our week in review was just so jam-packed. We couldn't squeeze this in we even had a game of thrones discussion we couldn't even squeeze and we might be able to get out an extra episode because there's just so much to talk about that if you're not sick of hearing about game of thrones we want to follow up on our thoughts since we did talk a little bit about it 
in episode three. But we have a movie called Fighting With My Family that we saw a while back that we wanted to share some thoughts about. This is a film that is a real-life story about a female wrestler named Soraya Knight. She went by the name, the stage name Paige, uh, but it is about her story of making a living performing at small venues around the country while dreaming of joining the World Wrestling Entertainment and getting the WWE, as uh, it's christened, I think, not too long before her entry. And, you know, trying out with her brother also. She is played by Florence Pugh, who I'm is an actress I'm not too familiar with. But the film also co-stars Nick Frost, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones fame, and Jack Loden, as well as a few uh, minutes appearances of Dwayne Johnson. Shannon, what did you think of Fighting With My Family? So after watching this, I was like, so when is the next season of Glow coming out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't watch wrestling, but I love watching backstories of wrestling like Glow and this film. Mm-hmm. I love the family story. I love the depiction of bitterness and the overcoming of that. I like that during her training in particular, she's surrounded by three other girls who start off nice to her, but she gets in her own head, closes herself off from them, and then overcomes that, and they are they end up being there for each other. That was important to me because I think we have grown past the whole, oh, well, those bitches are just talking to me, talking about me. I'm not going to engage with them ever again kind of trope. I think we're heading in a new direction now. So I loved seeing her reach the top and her tweets are pretty funny. Uh, If you go and look at her, her tweets online, it's actually Twitter, her Twitter account. It's actually pretty funny to watch. Okay. So hearing, you know, the mother's voice, I I think I had looked away for a second and I was like, did you just switch it to Game of Thrones? And so I think it's really funny that Lena Headley's uh, voice is like that much in my brain that it makes me automatically think of Cersei and Game oh, of yeah, Thrones. Sure. So I love that I'm seeing, and then I saw her face and I was like, oh, it's you. This is great. You know, not Cersei. She looks a lot different. Of not course. Cersei face. It's like a different face because she's, she's got her hair darker. So it was, it was really amusing to me. I enjoyed the film quite a bit too. I thought it was is well above average. What what is you know an average story of someone you know trying out for a sport and overcoming any obstacles and being successful in that sport? Uh, I thought it was it was pretty good. I thought Florence Pugh was great in it. I really enjoyed some of the things that you're talking about with her and her interactions with some of the other characters, let's say. Vince Vaughn is also stars in it as kind of the coach, the recruiter and the coach of WWE to try to try to whittle down who's actually going to make it. You know, got what it takes to be successful. And it's... I don't follow WWE. It's never been my scene, but uh, this is, you know, like other sports movies, it's definitely able to endear and make me interested, at least for a couple hours, 
in that sport or that person that I'm following this sport. So I thought it was a, a, a pretty good movie. I don't remember having too many issues with it. I think it's one that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people, but it, it really deserves more attention, I think. Do you have anything else to say about fighting with my family? No, I think that we've said it all. I think it's really more interesting for me personally to watch the story of the person. Gotcha. So that's Fighting With My Family. The next film we saw from this one from 2018 was The Hate You Give. Now, this is quite a sobering story. It stars Amanda Stenberg, who witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend at the hands of a police officer. And now she's facing pressure from all sides of the community and must find her voice and stand up for what's right. What the IMDb description I just read doesn't say is the fact that she lives in one area of her community where a lot of African Americans live and there's even like... I believe a drug dealer, if I remember correctly, who has his finger on, kind of pressed on the on on the community there. And but she goes to like a private school, that's a definitely in a more affluent area, and she has to code switch basically between throughout her life, um, or throughout her days, day to day, in terms of how she interacts with people in both communities and. The two kind of collide in this. It's based on a YA novel by Angie Thomas. The screenplay adaptations by Audrey Wells. The film's directed by George Tillman Jr. Not terribly familiar with those uh, talents. But Shannon, what did you think of The Hate You Give? So I have no idea what it's like to come from an impoverished area. I have no idea what it's like to come from an area that is a community that is so tightly run by a drug dealer that it makes it very difficult for you to live. I can't relate to basically anything this character is. But her performance put me in her shoes and I found it to be very helpful and insightful to her personal experiences. I cried a lot in this film and I felt a lot of empathy uh, for what she was going through and all her friends and family were going through. It made me want to sit up and really pay attention to the police brutality against Mm African-Americans in this country right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the kind of film that's told in, it has a story from which its topic of concern is being told from. Mm -hmm. And it's done really well, but it doesn't let you off the hook Mm. and in a nice way. Mm. It keeps you thinking about, no, this isn't the end of it. No, this is not as far as it goes. No, there's more to it. And that is really helpful in giving us a bigger picture of what is actually involved in something like police brutality shooting. This is a YA novel that does not try to tie things up in a neat little bow. And that's definitely commendable given the subject matter. You know, the end of last year was chock full of a good handful of films having to do with race relations in the United States. Such Uh, as Blind Spotting. Well, you had Blind Spotting, you had Sorry to Bother You, Black Klansman, and this film, The Hate Mm -hmm. You Give. And what's astounding is that no, not a single one of those movies are bad or mediocre. 
every single one of them had are are very strong or unique stories being told and hey you give is definitely no exception i was really kind of knocked out by this film in a way especially when you take into consideration this is a quote-unquote ya movie you know is the one of the only ya movies in recent years that i can recall that wasn't a sci-fi dystopia or a vampire story and oh you're right it's a nice break yeah it's a nice break and it's so damn good uh it, it handles its material really well the the star of this movie uh what's her name amanda stenberg the... i think it's amanda she's great she is mm-hmm. really good in this film you know and you know you have also supporting turns in the film uh, by Anthony Mackie and Coleman and uh, Sabrina Carpenter. What's interesting about this movie, really briefly, is that it offers all these different perspectives while have while creating this character uh, who bounces between communities. She allows us to see different aspects of different perspectives and sides of this issue some are ignorant but then you also have like the pull the 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 perspective of the police officer or this perspective of the african-american and all sorts of things and that is quite commendable and impressive so i was really uh, i'm a fan of of this film the hate you give i thought it was really great um was there anything that you had issues with, or did you feel about the same? Well, it's been a while since we've watched the movie. I don't think I had any issues. There was so much happening in this film. Like you said, it's giving different perspectives. And I really appreciated all that information. Mm-hmm. You know, from the police officer, you know, a police officer's perspective to a youth's, an African American youth's perspective to calling. Uh, star calls out her her uh, one friend mm-hmm. her white friend on her racism mm-hmm. and checks her on that and mm-hmm. actually you know you would think from afar not knowing what's going on you would think she's kind of losing her temper you yeah. know because she's under so much pressure but it's actually very effective what she does yeah. it's not that she attacked her friend she just made her she brought up her friend's racist tendencies or beliefs Mm -hmm. and showed them to herself and i thought that that was very effective and very helpful yeah i think the same could be said about the film as a whole very effective uh very helpful uh let's move on because we have a few more movies uh to talk about here and so but that was the hate you give the next film that we have uh, seen since our last episode is Isn't it romantic? This is a Valentine's Day release starring Rebel Wilson as a as a woman who hates romantic comedies, sees through all the tropes of the romantic comedy, thinks it's all bullshit. What happens? She gets knocked upside the head and all of a sudden she's existing in a romantic comedy everything in her life has been distorted around the framework and the tropes of a romantic comedy 
So, Shanna, this is definitely a movie that had a lot of promise. What did you think of Isn't It Romantic? Okay, I, I just had a realization. Isn't It Romantic and What Men Want mm-hmm. both result in women bashing their head and seeing a different side of things. Sure. And I'm just like, we don't have to have our heads bashed in. I just want to start with that. <laughs> okay. Um, I, loved what, I love watching Rebel Wilson in anything she's in. If she's in it, I'm in it. I thought this was a lovely trope destroyer of, oh, I thought you liked so-and-so, but I didn't have the guts to ask otherwise. And wow, you actually do like me, uh, Smasher. I thought it was pretty fun. And it's always nice to see someone who hates the stupid romantic tropes Mm -hmm. and then kind of, you know, ends up making their own thing of it. They also called out, you know, gay tropes and... That was that was pretty fun. The gay stereotype. Oh, sorry, not a gay trip. It's a yeah. gay stereotype. Yes. So that was pretty awesome. I cannot recommend this movie. I I really thought that this movie had a lot of potential, a lot of promise, and it just does not quite gel. There's just so many things that I I would be getting into a spoiler spoiler discussion to get into some of the the, the finer details of why this film doesn't quite gel but it just doesn't it just feels like it just misses the mark the writing by aaron cardio and dana fox who are two writers i'm not terribly familiar with just isn't quite as sharp as it should be Hmm. and there's a there's certain things in the world building and the rules of this scenario that don't quite make sense or fall together like there's certain people it's like are you are, are you in on this or are you like are you aware are you not like what's what's going on because you're not quite following what the world wants to be here i ultimately thought that this was a letdown and a, and a, a pretty big disappointment compared to its potential and and, and its promise i think that's fair to say i think it's a good movie to stream yeah but you were a bigger fan of the film than me, right? Um, I was. I liked it more than you liked it, but I liked the next movie that we're going to talk about even more. Well, you'll have to explain exactly why. Oh, by the way, this one that we're transitioning away from is once again, isn't it romantic? Starring Rebel Wilson and also Liam Hemsworth, Adam Devine, and Priyanka Chopra. And there was someone that was so con- familiar to me. I was like, who is that? Betty Gilpin plays the assistant and she's actually in glow as one of the main characters i was like ah oh it's her oh that's nice so that's incident romantic the next film that shannon wants to transition to is long shot starring seth rogan and Charlize theron seth rogan plays a uh, a journalist from kind of a fringe uh publication he's very outspoken he's always calling people out on their corruption he loses his job due to a kind of a conglomerate purchase of the of the publication he works for and he happens across an old babysitter of his who is now secretary of state played by charlotte theron who then hires him to be her speechwriter Shannon, what did you think of Long Shot? This was an even better film for me. I loved the destruction of the 
I have to give up my desires for a particular career to be with this guy trip mm. so there's a there's a lot of small changes that are happening in movies this year where they're trying to move away from you know the normal stereotypes the normal tropes from you know previous years i really liked that i got to see charlie saran but i also liked that i got to see andy circus i thought that there were very real and very funny moments in the film mm-hmm they're away on a tour and they come under attack and she has to remain calm because that's her job. Yeah. So she knows how to do that, but she has to calm him down because he's flipping his shit because right. this is the first time he wasn't prepared for something like this to happen. You sure. know? He wasn't like briefed and trained for this kind of thing. That's a real moment. And then there's a lot of humor that happens afterwards. Their love scenes are really stinking cute. And I just, I really like it. Yeah, this movie worked a lot better for me. I'm a little surprised that it hasn't taken off. It's almost, it's practically bombed. I kind of expected as a movie that stars Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen, that's a comedy, to really be a hit, you know? But for whatever reason, people just are not going to this. They should be. Because it's really good. It's really good. Is it? Is it going to be one of the best movies of the year? I don't, I don't know about that, but... The t- but Charlize and Seth Rogen have such great chemistry. Oh my god, it's the best. I was actually a little surprised, honestly, that they did not write the script to this thing. Because the chemistry is so strong. The script, by the way, is written by Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna. Uh, Jonathan Levine directed uh, the film. It, it just is so stunning to me that the two of them were not, like part of the creation of this movie in in that sense of, of directing or writing the film because they are great in this film together in case you're curious uh jonathan levine is also the director of snatched uh, the night before and warm bodies and 50 50 so he has kind of a spotty uh history 50 50 and warm bodies i was a fan of did you see those movies Ah, well, you should definitely check those out. It's 50-50, yeah, also a Seth Rogen film. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to The Long Shot? No, I just, I think people should go and watch it because it's a really fun date night movie. I a whole, 100% absolutely agree. So that's, again, Long oh, Shot. Ooh, what? You know what? I did want to say that this has a politicalness to it. Seth Rogen and his friend, who is his friend? Oh, O'Shea Jackson yeah. is great in it. Yes. I, I wanted to say that there's a moment that happens between the two of them when things get rough. And yeah. they're like best friends and have been best friends since who knows how long. Yep. And when things get rough, they're there for each other. And when they discover things about each other, because you, you're always going to discover something new about a friend. It's it. This one be, was particularly it shocking. It becomes like, yeah, it becomes this shock, but it's also like... Because they've known each other for so long, they can call each other out on their crap too. Yeah, yeah. And I really enjoy that because it feels so much more dimensional to me. Yeah. Because you want to be able to keep your friends if you can. Yeah. But you also want to call them out on their shit and you also want to be your true self with them. And that particular thing that gets revealed, I won't spoil what it is. It definitely, I appreciate it because it added another wrinkle to this film. 
it added another layer to what is otherwise the black best friend character. Mm-hmm. And, and O'Shea Jackson Jr. is great in this role, I by the really way. I really like him. He's hilarious. But I really appreciate this little wrinkle to this character and the reveal that ends up stopping Seth Rogen's character in his tracks and making him reflect a little bit. When I think it's, it's very poignant to today mm-hmm. because it's happened with us and our friends. And sure. I don't think it would be as a big deal maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago. It wouldn't be a thing that would stop you in your tracks, but now it does. Oh, and, definitely. Definitely. And I really am interested to see what other people think of that in particular. So I feel like it's a current film. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Long Shot. We have a couple more movies to get to really quickly here. The next one is Book Smart, the directorial debut of actress Olivia Wilde. This film is written by Susanna Fogel, Emily Halpern, as well as Sarah Haskins and Katie Silberman. So Those people need to keep making films. I will watch whatever they throw at me. Because of this movie, Booksmart, yes. yeah? Yes. It stars Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein as two best friends who are about to graduate high school. They're academic superstars, and they realize they should have worked less and played more. They're determined not to fall short of their peers, so they cram four years of fun into one night. Basically, they're determined to go to a party to show that they can have fun, and they didn't just waste their entire high school not having fun and just studying. Shanna, what did you think of Booksmart? So we got to watch this with our girlfriends, and that was really fun. I loved how much I laughed in this film Mm -hmm. and how I got totally choked up and how I was able to point out I had that kid in my class, I was that kid, I wish I was the other kid in high school with all these different real characters. Each character represents someone from you know, from drama club to valedictorian to skater chick to jock to guy that's so smart, he gets a really cool job straight out of high school. I thought that that was really great. They had a really good spectrum being represented. And what this film did that I feel is so different is it made all the characters human. None of them are really necessarily jackasses. Because at the end of the day, they're all trying to be there. They're trying to get through high school so that they can do the next step. And they end up being there for each other, which I thought was so compassionate and so sweet. And they'll all be there for each other in some small way. It's just very different. They're not necessarily best friends, but they, you know, they see that they they recognize that they're all trying to get through this and they help each other, Uh, whether it's like picking them up from a party or chit-chatting. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I mean, I think you make it sound a little more kumbaya than it, it really is uh, in the sense that they're not all pals or anything, but they it is... They're this, all civil. Th- this movie real- definitely reflects on the fact that there's more to somebody than their appearances, what they seem to be, personality or otherwise. And... I think, like, I agree with part of your point, which is basically that the movie has affection for these characters. It doesn't judge these any of these characters. Uh, I think that's definitely one of the film's uh, strengths 
and it makes it very interesting. I'm looking right now at the cast, the two leads, and if I've seen them in everything in anything before, apparently, Kaylin Dever, who played Amy, has been in several things I've seen that uh, listeners may know from like Spectacular Now, Short Term Twelve, Laggies. Oh, I love Laggies. Mm-hmm. Detroit. Uh, she was in last year as the front runner, which haven't quite caught up with that. And uh, I'm less familiar with Beanie Feldstein's uh, career, but both of them are amazing in this. Their their chemistry as friends is so awesome, and so like I I, I immediately bought in and was totally all in on this relationship within the first five minutes of the film and all in on these characters. I also think speaking of these characters and the rest of the cast, I think one thing that this film does well is you can see yourself more or less in in somebody in this film, right? And these characters have enough dimension where they're not they're not the typical caricatures so to speak. They don't fit in one particular box like we've seen in so many other teen movies, you know. So I I love that. I thought on top of it all, it's hilarious. It's really well directed. Olivia Wilde just nails it on her first go, which is very impressive for a directorial debut. Uh, I don't know if I really had much in the way of issues aside from occasionally there's the parents who I love. There's got to be parents <laughs> in this story. And the sideline, to the extent of like the movie needing them to be sidelined, but like reality maybe not quite making sense of the extent that they'd be sidelined. And I'm not just talking about the actual parents we see. I mean, in general. I think it's all realistic, actually, because those mm. parents had created a wonderful meal for the two girls. And then it, it turns out that they want to go party and they were genuinely pretty bummed that they weren't going to... Yeah, be able to hang out with them. I so agree. So I think that. it's all realistic, and you know so the, the the drama character, what he's doing to his parents there. I came across that all the time in high school, so mm. um, I I have no problem with this. And Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte do play two of the parents, and they are, of course, hilarious and very comedic. But- I do wish we had more time with them because it makes me think of best teenage parents. In movies, my favorite is Easy A, mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh my gosh, I love you guys just as much as I love Emma Stone in this movie, you know? So yeah, I, I would say I absolutely loved Book Smart. It was a blast. Every woman should take their friends to go see this movie right now. This film got $10 million on opening weekend compared to Aladdin's $100 million and I haven't seen Aladdin, but something tells me this film, I mean, it should have been flipped. Like, this film should be earning $100 million, you know? Yeah. It's just that kind of a movie. It's like... It's so good. It's like our next Ladybird, you know? Yeah, I, I It's not know. the same, like, but it's like... This it's movie just... is very much more like a female super bad compared to what Ladybird is. Oh, sure. You know? Do you not agree with that? I just feel like I have a certain pile of movies that I categorize as favorite female 
characters, mm-hmm. realistic female characters. Yeah. And in that pile mm-hmm. is Wild, Three Billboards Outside Missouri, mm-hmm. Lady Bird, Easy A, and now this one. Okay. So that's kind of what I mean. Is gotcha. I like that. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Our last film that we saw, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it is John Wick Chapter 3. So if you've been following the John Wick films, you might know that uh, John Wick is a part of the Secret Society of Assassins, and he has been labeled excommunicado, which means it's a free-for-all for all assassins to, put, to try to kill John Wick, he, he, he's forfeited his life due to something he did in Chapter he 2. He broke a rule. He broke a rule. Now he's on the run and basically trying to save his, his life and getting uh, attacked from all directions throughout the entire film. Shannon, what did you think of John Wick Chapter 3? This is not as good as John Wick Chapter 1. Okay, I love that? Chapter 1. I feel yeah. like Chapter 1 is very focused and... There we go. But <laughs> chapter three. <laughs> it's leaner, for sure. Yes. Right? And, and very focused, you mm. know, so you're not bored. At one point, it was like we were playing a video game because it was always precise shooting. And I know these are assassins. Oh, but you haven't way, seen me play a video game then because there's no precise shooting going on. It just on. felt like a video game to me, yeah. you know? You know, another part of the movie is it shows a system where consequences for your actions are so pristine and and followed through it's it's comparative to a parent on their last nerve you know so it's just it's very interesting uh we we got introduced to a character that's like a fanboy towards john wick and i found that entertaining that is mark dacascos i quite liked him sometimes i get a sense that this is an alternate world you know, because there's just not enough to root it in the world that we exist in right now. Mm. I love the world building that they have behind the scenes. We were introduced to to some more inner workings of this assassination society. And I wouldn't mind exploring more of that. Are we allowed to say there's an internal affairs investigation kind of thing? Um, well, he, he there is an adjudicator character who is basically like a judge. And the other aspect of this film is that it's not just John Wick who is in danger. Anybody who assisted or gave aid to John Wick is in trouble as well. And they get visited by uh, this character who is played by Asia Dillon. Well, and that's the part that I found most interesting in this movie. You know, you throw John Wick this side and that side and and stab him here and shoot him there and he does the same back triple fold. Like, I get bored after a while. So I found myself being drawn more towards the system that's been created Uh rather than focusing on John Wick too much. So I agree with you that the world building is fascinating. I love that they don't spell out the world building for you. And I uh, I really hope nothing ever is created down the line that tries to spell out the world building for you. Wow, Jeff, you look like you sound like you're talking to someone very specific there. Uh, well, I mean, if I am, then it would just be the Paramount Studios. But 
Hey, Keanu Reeves needs to be on a calendar with puppies, okay? And I will buy that shit. All right. You know, speaking of puppies, this the series loves dogs, and we get two more dogs through Halle Berry's character, who is someone who is an acquaintance of John Wick's, let's say, and that is visited at one point, and she has two German shepherds that help her in her when fighting. You know, I imagine that was not an aspect that you hated. No, I loved that, Mm -hmm. you know, and I knew you're not going to you're not going to kill another dog in this franchise. Fingers crossed. That would be bad for you. That'd be bad for you. That'd be bad for everyone involved. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) because it's John Wick's universe, fuckers. Right. So I. I was quite fond of actually they they introduced a bunch of different fighting techniques that were very interesting. I mean that's the part that kept it interesting, right? Yeah. All this fighting with John Wick, like oh we mm-hmm. have some knives, we have some guns, this right. kind of gun, that kind of gun. I actually had an appreciation for one of the guns, you know, which mm. I'm not like a big gun person, so right. that was interesting to me. How we can incorporate dogs, how we can incorporate X Y Z without spoiling. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is creative, but it's also like the funniest movie in the series. Sometimes, like with some of the kills, you just can't help but laugh. Oh my gosh, at we them, had a you know? good. Because this one, this one gets close to over the top out of all of them. You're right. The first one is very lean, it's very focused. This one, like, there are, and you can't even count how many people die. The last thing I'll point out before we move on, because we do need to do that, is that I find it interesting and so, I don't know, fascinating and refreshing. There is no villain in these movies since the first one. The first one, it was very clear. Like, someone did John dirty, and they needed to die. But in, I think in two, this is the case but definitely in three here there's no actual villain it's just a bunch of like colleagues who are on equal who are equals who they have a job to do right and they're going to get their 15 million or or whatever there's no there's no person who's like oh that person has to die if anybody has to die it's only because like it's either they die or john wick does not that they're bad or evil right and I thought that was kind of cool and, and a fascinating aspect of the story. So at any rate, I, I, I can't say I necessarily love John Wick 3. There's something about the series that prevents me from absolutely loving it. But uh, I liked the film uh, quite a bit. I would give it a 7 out of 10. Shanna, would you uh, say that you overall liked the film or, or not? I think I'd give this film maybe a 7. Okay. I think it's important to watch. I mean, if you start with the first one, you got to finish it, you know? (laughs) Fair enough. To recap, we're fans of Fighting With My Family, The Hate You Give. Shanna, you liked Isn't It Romantic more than me. I can't recommend that film. We also liked Long Shot, Booksmark, and it sounds like I like John Wick Chapter 3 a little bit more than you, yeah? Yeah. All right. So that's our week in review. Let's move on to the main event and... Our review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Our world is changing. The mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we are the cause. We are the infection. 
Like all living organisms, the Earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. For thousands of years, these creatures have remained in hiding around the world. And unless all the Titans are found, our planet will perish, and so will we. They are the only guarantee that life will carry on. And that was from the trailer to Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now, every time we review a film, what we like to do first is focus on the good about a movie, what we liked about it, then move on to the bad, what didn't work for us or what we didn't like about a movie, before moving on to spoilers and final thoughts. Godzilla, in case you don't know, King of the Monsters, is the sequel to 2014's Godzilla, and part of this whole universe that Kong Skull Island was a part of that leads to uh, Godzilla versus King Kong, which I think may be coming out next year. And what? It, I, I could maybe in 2021, one of those two years ah. for sure. At any rate, this one has a huge all star cast that includes Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown. Bradley Whitford, Zane Ziyi, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Charles Dance, and more. Oh, let's not forget, of course, it also stars King Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mothra, duking it out with Godzilla. So, how has all this come about? It has to have some sort of human story, apparently, that is that brings about all these monsters. And basically, Vera Farmiga is someone who invented a machine that is able to communicate to the, with these monsters. And Charles Dance plays the leader of a terrorist organization who wants to bring all these monsters up to Earth to wipe out half the population to bring balance, as apparently they have done for millennia. Shanna, tell me first... What did you like? What was good about Godzilla, King of the Monsters? I think the best part of Godzilla was Millie Bobby Brown and oh. then Coach. What is his name? Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. The, like Those two things were the best. I think everyone's performances were great. I wanted to... Really? The human performances were great. 
I am afraid of moths, but this movie, this movie made me not want to be afraid of them anymore because the way they portrayed Mothra was really elegant and beautiful and kind of gracefully powerful. Uh-huh. So I quite like that. However, I did run away from a moth yesterday uh, after the movie. So, so maybe not so much. Maybe. <laughs> do I have respect for them now? <coughs> yes. Will I still run away and kill them? Probably. So it exceeded my expectations in what these creatures are capable of. Uh-huh. The story was decent. I, I got bored here and there, uh, but that could just be the concussion speaking. So I don't know for sure. All right, we're talking about what you liked about a movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think the the best part of this film was really the performances. Really? I, I, I thought that was the best thing. That's interesting. Okay. We might have an interesting conversation in a little bit here. I would say what's great about this movie... Well, first of all, let me back, backtrack. This movie was one of the most anticipated movies for us of the year, let alone of the summer, Right. Mm-hmm. we've been looking forward to this we saw the first trailer jaws on the floor oh my god this is going to be a huge blockbuster absolutely amazing and what i liked about the movie was that everything that i saw in the trailer delivered in the sense that there are some astounding visuals in this movie the way the visual effects in this film are awesome the way Godzilla is rendered, the way Rodan and all the other King Ghidorah looks incredible, right? Anything in the movie where it's primarily featuring the monsters and the monsters fighting each other, awesome. Total fun. Enjoyed the hell out of it. And that, to me, is... What is good about this movie, what I liked about it, what is what makes the movie worthwhile. I'll pause there. Was there anything you that was bad about the movie? Anything you didn't like about the movie, Shanna? I was really put off by the amount of graininess and diffusion, the cinematography effect on the monsters. You know, when you insert something that doesn't exist in that real environment, whether it's a photo or video, you add a bit of grain to blend the pixels. Sometimes, yeah. You know, most of the time. But the amount of grain, you try to do just a little bit. Okay. You know, just to give it one blend, you know. But I swear to God, I could see these freaking granules and it was just driving me crazy. Okay. And I wasn't sure, like, I wanted to love this film completely you know because you know if it's one of your most anticipated films you want to love it but i found myself battling in my head like why is this so grainy and then the other side of the ping pong table in my head was like well maybe it's 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 like a nod to the original godzilla movies because they were made in an era where the film would have been incredibly grainy. And then I was like, well, maybe it's not that. And so it was this back and forth in my head. So I really was put off by that. Something I was put off with in the story is the custody of Millie Bobby Brown's character. Okay. Um, Because she plays the teenage daughter of Vera Farmiga mm -hmm. and Kyle Chandler. So everything, the mother has custody of her, right? Uh Uh-huh. And everything that the mother is doing, I'm like, 
what the fuck? And like in my head, I was like creating this, this custody case of like, okay, check mark mom, mom shouldn't have, check mark mom shouldn't have, check, check mark dad should have, you know, the kid. And so uh-huh. it was this very, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just very parental right now. And that was driving my head crazy because I was like, in what world would this actually be happening you know mm. i know it's an unrealistic film but like just a slight bit you know it's like a what is this this is a sci-fi y- yes it's... okay well i wasn't sure if it was like fantasy. this is not a political thriller <sighs> fuck off so, <laughs> <laughs> i i guess i had other problems maybe we'll talk about them in spoilers okay i will just say that this movie is all spectacle and Everything having to do with the story and the plot is pretty much where the movie falls short. Like, don't think too much about the 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 story and the plot in this movie, and you'll probably be okay. Because there are things in this movie that if you really think about it, they don't make sense. There are probably decisions that humans make in this movie that are are probably pretty dumb. There's, gosh, there's a, uh, there's things that don't necessarily land. I will say this: Godzilla, Gohira from 1956, I believe, 1954, is a post-war film made by a nation that just went through being uh, bombed two times over, at least. And it's very much against nuclear war. This movie doesn't seem to remember that. Hmm. <laughs> and that's that's a problem that I will get into a little bit more in spoilers. Go to this movie for the spectacle of it, but really have your expectations really low as far as the writing is. I, I think it's the one thing that, that keeps it from being as good or better than 2014's Godzilla film, which is a movie that we still need to revisit and kind of refresh our memories of. And I remember it being a little silly, but not like not as poor as the writing in this one. So that's all I have to say about that before spoilers. Uh, do you... Do you want to say anything else for those who haven't seen the movie before we get into spoilers? I think the good outweighs the bad. So I think everybody okay. should see this film, if possible, in the cinema. We got to see it on the biggest screen at the theater mm-hmm. uh, that the theater had. And mm-hmm. that was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. If you're able to see it in a screen X, I imagine that would be remarkable. I was if... not capable of doing that due to my concussion. Right. <laughs> I would if have thrown up. You're able to see it in an actual true IMAX screen. I imagine that would be oh, astounding. That would be pretty cool. Because, again, the thing that's great about this movie, so to speak, is the visuals and the 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 scale of it the and the monsters in general. I think that is just enough to be able to recommend this movie. I give it a, a 6 out of 10. Oh, I agree. All right, let's get into spoilers for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and our final thoughts now. Okay, so spoilers for Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Shanna, what additional thoughts did you have that you could not share 
previously. Oh my god, why is Millie Bobby Brown in the custody of her mother? What the fuck? Yeah. Guys, like out of all those stupid things that she was doing, even if you are like blinded by your solution or ambition, it's just, it's just fucked up, okay? Oh yeah, let's take a step back and explain the Vera Farmiga character and why you feel... That she should not have custody of her daughter. I'm sorry, it's just I always assume if people are listening to this piece that they've seen the film. It's a good idea to always provide context. So how did she lose her son again? Through the devastation in the Battle of San Francisco from the previous movie in uh, by Godzilla. She was not in the film. No, but they show this nice little memory thing, which mm -hmm. confused the hell out of my poor. Me too bashed around brain my head's not even that bashed okay. around and then it, it was confused <laughs> so yes i could i was swearing oh my god i could swear she was in the 2014 movie i was, was like so i spent about 10 minutes after seeing that flashback yeah thinking i missed something in a previous film right because at first i thought she was um the olsen sister Oh, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, See, I thought yeah, it was yeah. The, and then I was getting excited because I love seeing her face. And then uh, it oh, wasn't. And then I was like, wait, wait, what happened? So they could be cast together one day as sisters. Interesting. <laughs> um, but, you know, everything that this mom does is so putting her child in harm's way. Really. Uh, it sounds yes. like she was educating her child. She was educating Millie Bobby Brown's character to, like, be prepared for this this betrayal that she was going to do, going with the environmental extremists. That's you know. a, Let's not glaze over this. This is supposed to be a big reveal in the movie, by the way, that she actually wasn't kidnapped but uh, and taken hostage or whatever because of the equipment she had. But actually she was a part of them All to long. begin with. Yeah. Yes. And so it's just everything she's doing, every decision she's making is... Awful for a child to witness, never mind be part of. So then what you think of the moment when Millie Bobby Brown's character decided to stay with her mom when she had an opportunity to run to her dad? I think she knew that her father was going to get shot. I think that that's what was happening because they weren't taking any prisoners. You know, like they were just hmm. shooting up a storm. Hmm. And now that being said, when the mom eventually gets whacked on the side of the head... What I'm trying to remember expression? that. I'm trying to remember. She doesn't actually get physically hit, but like it's an expression. You she know? has a realization? She, yeah, whatever. Okay. You know. It's a huge difference. Well, we had a theme of women being smacked in the head and having I see. stuff. Um, <clears throat> that she starts to turn around and she turns around on a dime, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe her performance was just lacking there a little bit. Or the writing. Or the writing. But Millie Bob's performance when she's Millie being, Bob. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You you are recovering from an accident, so we're I'm doing we're the patient best with... I can. Yes, yeah. you. So anyway, when she is screaming for her mom, mm-hmm. when is a Carl Chandler? Yeah. Okay, it's just it made me think of the Friends character. Drags her onto the airplane to get her away from. Uh, mom who's now going to be a distraction to the three-headed dragon character King Ghidorah yeah that made me cry that's how awesome an actress she is Hmm. so I really like that part 
But I mean, that's 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 all I've got. I really hated that part of the film. I did like, however, who's the one that's been in all the films, and he's in Inception. Oh, Ken Watanabe. Okay, his performance was great. I love what the story did for his character. You know that he was the one that stayed with, that actually got to walk right up to Godzilla and give yeah. him the radiation power that he needed in a faster way. Okay, so let's get... Okay, that's one of the points that... It, it, it was pointed out and something I was listening to. It's kind of a problem. What, that whole scene? Well, the that concept. The concept. Okay, let me, let, me, let me explain. Godzilla, the fact that Godzilla exists in the first place is supposed to be commentary against nuclear war. And this yeah. movie is like, oh, he's he's dying. I know what we'll do. Let's blow up a nuke next to him to to make him live, to give him more power. But isn't that what they didn't they do something like that in the previous film? I don't that remember. That established it. I don't. You're, I would have to rewatch it to answer that question. Because they said that he was feeding off of the radiation. Sure. Which is why when he got. Sh- bomb the first time it was an oxygen bomb it wasn't a radiation bomb in this movie yeah in this movie right right basically okay let's look at it this way the good guys in this movie not the are not are supposedly not the terrorists but the ones whose solution to the problem is to set off a nuclear warhead yeah right okay think about that <laughs> oh i see what you're saying so is this commentary on Hollywood, American Hollywood bastardizing a real origin? I don't think the movie's trying to be. Oh, but is that what it's doing? I don't think it is. <laughs> I think okay, it's just... Why are we talking about this? I just don't think... Like, it's, it's a problem in the script. Okay. I just don't think the script is that smart, you know? And, 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 and an additional point that I, I wanted to touch on in spoilers here is... And it's indicative of how unsmart the script is. Part of what gets us to the third act is Millie Bobby Brown goes to Fenway Park with this device, decides to plug it into the speakers and 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 transmit this sound that it emits. And somehow all the monsters, which by the way, there's 17 monsters, all the monsters here all around the world... From Fenway Park. It's an example of, if you think about this movie too much, it doesn't make sense. You know? It kind of has... But it's not like you can hear Kin of Dragons or whatever the hell it is. Like, you don't... King Ghidorah. Yeah, you don't hear Kin Boy, like... You don't hear his frequency when he's, like, doing his thing, when he conquers the, the volcano... Well, like you don't hear that, but it's a frequent. I thought it was because it's a frequency that carries extra punch for the monsters. Like we hear a little bit of it, but the monsters hear it more acutely. Yeah, but how is that possible on the other side of the world? Well, I I don't know. I mean, when King Ghidorah did it at first, everybody came in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. From around the world. So another example of something that doesn't make sense, right? So I was trying to justify it, by the way, actually. (laughs) And it does. I don't think it works. You know, just little things like this. So just, you know, examples of if you think about the movie, the story doesn't make sense. Really? 
You know, it, it's kind of operating on a very low level. It I, You get the sense that the studio or whoever was like, you know what? It's fine. It Let's just monsters beat each other up. Go, you know, like that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, and, and, and on that level, it does operate well. But these kinds of things and there's a lot of screen time for the humans, by the way, like there might be more screen time for the humans than the monsters. I think and, so. Yeah. And who do we buy the tickets for? Right. It works a little too hard there. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I guess not. I mean, I don't have much to say about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's um, fair. I think, and it's, it could be my concussion. It could be the nature of the film. I don't know. Probably the nature of the film. I will you say, don't seem to have much to say either. I will say that Mothra and, and uh, Rodan look uh, very cool. And I didn't really think that there'd be much to Mothra as a, as a character. But she's pretty awesome, actually. Matter of fact, she's actually really cool, and, and even when she dies, she's amazing. Yeah, and I, so. I, I would say like the same thing with Rodan. Like I was like, well, it's a pterodactyl. How cool could that be? And Rodan's actually pretty cool too, you know. So anyway, <laughs> when we see a close up of him of yeah. his face, yeah. it makes me think of the X Men comics where they go into the prehistoric layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Savage Land. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is that yeah. character? Sauron. Yeah, yeah, it makes mm-hmm. me think of that. Yeah, fair enough. The other, the only other thing is, for some reason, this movie says that there's 17 titans. Again, they don't call them kaiju. For some reason, they call them titans. Either I don't way, like that. It's I don't either. Western. It bothers me. But uh, there's 17. Only three of them are in the previous movies. In, like, there's 32 Godzilla films. So many creatures have been created. And you see, like, these peripheral characters uh monsters that actually come up in the end none of them are in any of the movies so it's like okay well if you're going to create 17 kaiju why not why why not have them be the kaiju that already has been introduced in previous movies like rodan has like mothra has like king kadora has you know why not have like I, I can't even tell you what these other characters are. They're not as well known. But if you go through the, the catalog of Godzilla films, you'll see these other creatures. Why not have them? Why make up a fucking woolly mammoth, you know? Why why I'm make okay up a, a, a giant fucking turtle or whatever it is, you know, instead of these other ones? It seems like a missed opportunity, and it doesn't quite make sense. Like, why would you make that creative decision in the first place, you know? More sequels. <laughs> my love, eyes are rolling i love your rolling eyes <laughs> anyway final thoughts i think it's a fun spectacle to see but other than that it's there's there's nothing being hinted at towards the political environment that we're in right now there's nothing sure. being there's nothing about anything of any that'll make it a timeless film or okay. a, like a significant film but you liked it more than me well, I, I love def- watching you seemed a little more defensive of the movie than me I'm just I just realized that I'm just really good at like justifying artistic decisions. So <laughs> okay. it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that I love it more or hate it more. Huh. Okay. I'm just like, well maybe they thought blah blah blah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. All right. So uh if I understand correctly, we're on the same page. Go to see the movie for the spectacle. I wouldn't even recommend renting it. Just go to the theater to just to experience the scale and spectacle of the film. But really like check your brain out the door. 
That's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. What did you think of the film? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time for the last segment of the show, Film Faves. Film Faves is inspired by a segment of, or a piece that I used to do regularly at the Gibson Review, wherein we count down our 12 favorite films around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. We do 12 because everybody does 5 or 10, and then they have honorable mentions. Well, with us, we don't have honorable mentions. We just have 12, one full dozen movies and we do this partially to give you an idea of what our tastes in movies are and to help celebrate film as per the point of the movie lovers podcast but also to help hopefully expose you to things you maybe you haven't even heard of before or maybe you missed and to that end we actually try to point out when something's available on a streaming service uh, particularly netflix amazon prime hulu and hbo now of course, very often these movies are available to rent on Amazon and may not be available on a, a, sur- a subscription service. So this time our focus is action movies of the decade because we are going through the, through the course of this year looking at the decade that is coming to a close. And we've done love stories, foreign films, uh, documentaries also. Now we're doing action movies. Seemed like the right time of the year with the summer movie season to do that. So Shanna, before we dive on in to our list, do you have any observations or thoughts about the decade in action films? I noticed that, I don't know if this has been the case previously, but I noticed there's a lot of comedy action, a lot of good comedy action. So that's been really fun. And I also noticed that there's lots of winks to previous action films, and then there's some really unique ones. It looks like most of my films happened between 2016 and 20. 19 or 18 really okay and then you know a bunch in 2011 and 2012 but with like one in the middle 2015 so Mm. that's interesting how it's spursed out yeah i think for me the uh, the year that was best represented for action was 2012 i have three films on my list from that particular year and the only year that doesn't have a movie represented on this list is 2010 for whatever reason i i too do not have 2010 but i do have 2011 yeah yeah myself as well Yeah, yeah absolutely for me i would say that it was actually a bit of a challenge even though i ended up having like 60 films to draw from that i saw like this was so heavily defined by superhero movies, comic book movies, and 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 the like, like in terms of action, like sci-fi films, like which is going to be tackled in future episodes of of the movie lovers and of as well as the articles that correspond best of the 2010s. So I had to really do a lot of weeding out in order to get to what qualifies, and I guess that's worth mentioning, like what qualifies for this list. Nothing that is science fiction qualifies for this list. Nothing based on a comic book qualifies for this list because those are areas that will be tackled later, right? And you would think that there would be a lot to choose from, mm-hmm. but there isn't really. <laughs> well, I not found. after you, I mean, yeah, not. there's a lot of crap, right? So you, you weed through the crap and you're you're left with like two, three dozen movies to... 
to choose from. So, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. But uh, so it was an interesting decade for for action. And let's dive into the finer points of that with your number 12. My number 12 is Safe House from 2012. Hmm. This stars Denzel Washington, an apparent veteran operative, and Ryan Reynolds, a CIA agent in charge of a safe house in South Africa. And things go wrong. Things aren't as they would appear to be. And the two of them really need to stick together to come out on the greater good side of things. Well, to survive. Yeah. Well, and what I said. So (laughs) the reason this is on my list, you know, we watched this film, I think last night and Mm -hmm. it's not the most fantastic film. That's why it's at the bottom. But what I like about it is you get a taste of South Africa. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, we're watching this film and Jeff is trying to get into it and me with my concussed. Because I've never seen it before. Yeah. My concussed focus lacking brain. I see them go into the U- U.S. embassy. In it's Cape- like a consulate. A consulate in Cape Town. And I'm like, no fucking way! <laughs> They've just come off one of the most busy, popular streets in Cape Town called Long Street. And I'm like, that is not where it is! <laughs> and I lose my shirt. And it turns out, you know, the, like they're, they're really trying to make the most of that those like eight blocks yeah that like downtown cape town and it's really Mm. a busy place so i you know i think it was possible that my my family and i were visiting cape town when this film was being shot oh because we couldn't get to uh something on that side of town Uh and i think that it might have been this film that was filming gotcha there's a little documentary that's there and that's fun to watch because they talk about how they incorporated on the blu-ray uh yes they how they talk they talk about how they incorporated uh locals in the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very cool very cool uh, i will say that the one thing about my list that's very curious and very much opposite of the last list that we did looking at the decade is that none of my films are available to stream on any subscription services. But I think you'll find most, if not all of them, available to rent on Amazon. So definitely look look for them that way. I'm going to start off at my number 12 with Spy from 2015. This is Paul Feig's action comedy film, one of the best action comedies of the decade, starring Melissa McCarthy as this gal in the chair basically to jude law's spy and she ends up uh, being in a situation where she volunteers herself to go on to the field in a in a in a desperate situation and not only of course is melissa mccarthy a hilarious talent she's one of the decade's biggest breakout talents she's she plays a character who's constantly told no or is undervalued or um is basically told she has, you know, she she doesn't have a whole lot of worth, you know, and she's given these ridiculously like lame costumes, you know, disguises and stuff that make her look really frumpy, and it's like this manifestation of how people see her, right? Um, yet she proves herself to be just as capable and and wicked or, or badass as anybody else on the field. In fact, any guy who stands in her way, she has a really sharp, nasty ton that uh, she, uh, <laughs> she tears them down with. That's really yeah. fun. So it's really I hilarious. I want to be her when I grow up. 
It's really hilarious. I, I do include it in the article, Best of the 2010s Action Movies, which should be published by now. I'm on the best of the decade and, and uh, go into more detail as to why that is. Rose Bird and Jason Statham also are of hilarious note in this film. So it just barely made my list, but it is such an enjoyable film. It could not uh, be skipped. That's Spy from 2015. My number 11 is Tomb Raider of 2018. Oh, really? This is the only film available for streaming. It's on HBO. Oh, very cool. This is the only film from mine and your list that's available to stream. Wow, no kidding. My favorite Lara Croft film, uh, certainly the most well-written and interesting version of this character. Yeah, the bar is kind of low there. Yeah, Yeah, it was a surprise for me. I thought they would sex her up, mm-hmm. but they didn't, and I was so pleased. Yeah. Uh, you were not she, looking forward to that No, movie. I wasn't. I was sitting there with my notepad and my pen, and I was like, I'm going to write how sexist this shit is yeah. and how, they, how she is made for the male gaze. She's not. So the last thing I wanted to say is that she was strong. She was real. She showed pain. A lot of stuff happens to her. Uh, and that is my number 11. I actually will say that that is a good movie and easily one of the best video game movies of all time. Um, but just missed my list. My number 11, however, is the French film from 2018, Revenge, which stars Matilda Lutz as a woman who has been attacked by people she's uh, spending time with on this hunting vacation. She's on the run and, well, as the title indicates, exacting revenge. This is in a triple F rated film that is written and directed by Coralie Fargate. It is one of the sexiest and goriest films I have ever seen this decade. And it is extraordinary. Matilda Lutz is awesome. Her transformation. There's a lot, actually. It seems like a really thin, simple film. But the more you pay attention, the more there is to chew on. And this film was symbolism and other things. Well, I think the second time you, like after your first viewing, Mm your viewing after that just keeps getting better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that is Revenge by Coralie Fargate. Starring Matilda Lutz. It's my number 11 favorite action film of the decade. My number 10 is Pain and Gain from 2013. Dwayne Johnson, Mark Wahlberg, and Anthony Mackie, as well as, is it Tony Shalhoub? That's my favorite. Is he in there? I thought he was. Am I wrong? You may be right. It's been Uh, long enough that I don't remember. All I can say about this is it's a bizarre action film, and it's based on a true story. Yeah. So how I compare it, because it's good for you to go in cold, how I compare it is it's kind of like how The Wolf of Wall Street is a bizarre true story. I feel like this is like it's it's sibling in a way. it's also funnier. Oh, well, yeah. And perhaps Michael Bay's best movie this decade. Oh, that was Michael Bay? Well, yeah. Well, good for him. That actually had more heart than any of his other films. And you're right. Tony Shalhoub stars in it, as well as Ed Harris, Rob Corddry, Rebel Wilson, Ken Jeong, 
And did you mention Anthony Mackie too? Yeah, I did. Yeah, very cool, very cool, yeah. I didn't know that Rebel Wilson was in it. It's been a very long time since we've seen it. Yes, exactly. Very cool. I, I'm actually kind of fond of Pain and Gain also, though it takes some dark turns. My number 10 film, you'll have to excuse me for this is where the my list starts to get a little bit boring here and there. But it is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation from 2015. This is Christopher McQuarrie's first film in the Mission Impossible series, as well as Rebecca Ferguson's first film in the series. Her introduction is here. But there's some great set pieces. There's some really great action choreography, uh, particularly by Rebecca Ferguson. There's, of course, always really great stunts and a good story as the Mission Impossibles more often than not provide us. It, it's, it's a solid film overall. I think it actually is uh, takes the franchise up a notch in terms of story writing. This one introduces the, the, the one villain who carries over into Fallout. He's actually a really good villain. I like him quite a bit. My number nine is The Nice Guys, 2016. Funny, cute, and at times gory and shocking. Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe in this noir crime film in L.A. has a mystery to solve. Again, not everything as it appears to be. Lots of comedy and lots of big corporations in here. So very interesting, too. Mm -hmm. And this was a film where, do you ever get, like, you know you have songs that are earworms? Well, do you ever have, like, eyeworms? Like, I will remember a scene, but I won't remember where it was from. Okay. And I'm so glad that you brought this film home to rent. Mm -hmm. We got this from a red box. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad you brought it home because this one scene I had playing in my head that I wanted to watch this movie with the scene, it turns out the scene was from here. And it's the beginning scene where the uh, porn actress uh -huh. is yep. in an accident. Yes. And I was like, what film is that from? And I thought it was from LA Confidential. Oh. And so I start watching it and I'm like, when is that scene going to happen? Yeah. And I was driving myself crazy. So yeah. I had an eye worm. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Very good. My number nine film is The Raid Redemption from 2012. Perhaps the most insane action film of the decade. Uh, this this movie just has it's just nonstop action. It takes place in a single location. This this high rise that is kind of like a slum type thing, but it's ruled by this vicious gang leader, drug lord type dude. And it has some brutal action choreography, but also extraordinary too like you won't believe your eyes when you're watching this movie it was a huge hit in the cinephile crowds it should be a huge hit in mainstream audiences because what do um u.s audiences love more than some killer action you'll get it here with the raid redemption very epic my number eight is Central Intelligence. Really? That's a fun one. 2016. You really I'm noticing a lot of Dwayne There's a lot Johnson. Of Dwayne. Here. And you haven't <laughs> and even seen the Fast and the Furious movie. Fast and the Furious. Yeah, so you still gotta watch those. I'm not watching it. Anyway, so 
Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, you know, high school, you know, when someone is nice to you in high school just once, mm-hmm. being bullied by everyone else, well, that nice deed can lead to an adventure in the future, which is what happens here. High school acquaintances reconnect on Facebook, and Kevin Hart's boring life gets rocked by Dwayne Johnson, the rock, a spy. So, that is a pretty fun one. Lots of comedy there, too. Yes, of course. And, and Kevin Hart. like, Hart. No pun intended. I did lots of puns. All right. So my next film, which is my eighth favorite film, comes from 2013. I think it's the only one from 2013 to make my list. It is Fast and Furious 6, also known as Furious 6, because previously there was Fast 5. And it was meant to be. The title card actually just says Furious 6. So that's I'm taking that as the official title. Anyway, so this movie... I'm I'm a fan of the Fast and Furious series, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a good idea to try to pare it down to just one for the purpose of this list. I love five, six, and seven in particular. I think they're they're the only ones that you could legitimately accuse of being good. Uh, six, though, even though they have the worst villain played by Luke Evans, who I think is pretty milk toast here. It does have some amazing stunts and action. And 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 it has the loss of two two major characters. So you know, these films are just a blast to watch. You know, they're everything that people go to see action films for you know, without completely sacrificing intelligence you know you just suspend your disbelief just enough to have a a great ride with uh this film and and fast and furious six or furious six is is uh is definitely that uh to a t but i recommend um also fast five and furious seven too if you can watch those oh and i think this is the movie that made us realize that four five and six all took place before tokyo drift which is like what there's actual continuity intelligence to this series so cool anyway fast and furious six is uh my number eight favorite film my number seven is mission impossible fallout from 2018 oh is it uh you know the trailer where you have the guy that plays superman punching the air but the air (laughs) being punched sounds like this delicious turn on from lovely muscles from that divine man um so anyway it's that movie Okay. <laughs> a mission goes wrong. Old allies. This is my favorite. Some great cinematography. Some great action. I mean, as you can tell by Jeff's descriptions of Mission Impossible, this is like Ethan Hawke is like the action king. I feel like Mission Ethan Im- Hawke. Ethan Hunt. Oh Jesus. Okay. That man. <laughs> okay. My concussion. Great franchise. Uh, but my yeah. favorite of the franchise is definitely that one. And. Fun fact, we watched a bunch of TV shows recently. because Of, of we were, Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah, and there were little pieces from like episode one and two and then episode one from season two oh, that yeah, were yeah. in these movies. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's actually a really enjoyable TV show. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. I highly recommend that too. Very and cool. And it's on Prime, the TV show, not the movie. Not the movie though. Yeah. My number seven is 2017's Baby Driver by Edgar Wright. About the 
getaway driver of heists and, and bank jobs, played by Ansel Elgort. Also stars uh, Kevin Spacey, boo hiss, and mm-hmm. actually Jamie Fox is quite the asshole in this movie. As a matter of fact, it's very weird to see. Kind of like mm. if Tom Hanks is a serial killer in a movie. <laughs> it's like, oh right. God, cover right. my eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and John Hamm is in it as well. No, I, this this movie is just so underrated i think it's so well directed uh, whoever the music supervisor is for this movie did an extraordinary job one of the best music supervision uh, selections i've ever seen is in this movie the way it's married in certain scenes there's gunfire that matches the beats of songs that's played all sorts of really cool things and it's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun so I enjoy Baby Driver quite a bit. It's my seventh favorite action film of the decade. Uh, Maybe we'll hear more about that later. Who knows? Cool. My number six is Hannah from 2011, uh, which is a TV show now. But I don't know anything about it. But speaking about the movie, this is of a child. Uh, We see her when she's 16. She's been raised in isolation in a forest by her father, preparing her to become an assassin. Or rather, how I like to see it, protect herself from all the danger that's after her. Mm -hmm. There's a particular intelligence agent that is after her for wonderful reasons that you'll find out later. And it's Saoirse Ronan. And... Mm -hmm. As Hannah. As Hannah, and Mm -hmm. I fucking love that girl. Mm -hmm. I will watch anything she's in. (laughs) So there you go. All right, very cool. We're at the halfway point. My number six is Shane Black's The Nice Guys, which you previously mentioned, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Which I love seeing Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. squeal like a little girl. That he does quite a bit <laughs> in this movie. Really fun. Absolutely, you know he's one of those handsome dudes that can pull off loser really well. You <laughs> yeah. know he's he's kind of pathetic in this movie. It's really great. I like seeing it. And of course, Russell Crowe is the more seasoned dude who just kind of looks at him and shakes his head at how pathetic he is. Uh, But, you know, this movie has a really great mystery to it that it had been a few years since I last seen it. And I was a little fuzzy on how the elements came together. This bigger conspiracy that involves porn uh, of, uh, you know, set in the 70s, by the way, that involves the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It touches on actual issues and, and elements of the time. In really well-crafted ways, while also being a really funny movie too, I I just really enjoy Nice Guys. Really enjoy Shane Black and what he's capable of. He had a pretty good decade, uh, with the exception of Predator. That was a big disappointment. But uh, Nice Guys is a very nice movie from 2016. Number six for me. My number five is 21 Jump Street from 2012. I thought this was going to be the most disappointing, lame-ass, dragged-by-my-friends movie that I was going to see. And it is the complete opposite. This movie is awesome, kick-ass, hilarious, awkward, one of the best buddy cop 
movies of the decade. Mm -hmm. Two guys who were nothing alike in high school where we first see them. But once they get to police academy by chance together, they realize that together they can be quite complementary to each other Mm -hmm. and kick ass. So I laugh a lot with this film. I prefer this one to the sequel. And Mm -hmm. I highly recommend 21 Jump Street, which was a TV show at one point. Yeah, completely different, by the way. My number five is, this is where the list gets a little boring, uh, forgive me. We come back to the Mission Impossible franchise for Ghost Protocol from 2011, directed by Brad Bird. Now, this is the one with the lame villain by Michael Michael Nickvist. But everything else about this movie is so cool. Yeah, Josh Holloway from Lost as an agent. You have the beginning where there's the um, there's the escape and and Ethan Hunt literally says light the fuse and that's how the credit sequence starts. That's so pretty. You have the mind-boggling like vertigo-inducing Burj Khalifa sequence. Paula Patton I love Paula Patton in this movie. I wish she came back to the franchise. She kicks ass in this movie. Simon played uh, Simon Pegg. He's he he's a little he is bit my more active. Favorite part of the film. And this Jeremy Renner is introduced into the franchise too. Don't know where he went, but he's great in this. I just really really think that this film is a lot of fun. It's not. It may not be as good a movie as Rogue Nation uh, was. I think, like, story-wise and tightness of script and everything, it just takes it to another level. But Ghost Protocol is really damn good and and so much fun. And just um, everything that we look for in an action spectacle, as is the case with the entire franchise. But, yeah, it is my number five favorite film, action film of the decade. My number four is John Wick from 2014. Ah, very cool. This one. This. (laughs) This is a man. (laughs) Oh, my. A man that takes revenge on that pathetic excuse for human beings that that chose to shoot his dog. Oh, Theon. And it's not spoiler because... It's like in the first 20 minutes. It's the premise of the movie. Yeah. Um, Did I mention he is a retired assassin and has a certain set of skills... Oh my god, guys. He is so fucking hot and guaranteed to bring about the best kind of revenge after losing a fur baby. As I said earlier, he needs to be on doggy calendars for like <laughs> Humane Society or whatever. The, the animal society. It's not society. a bad idea. You know, it, I don't know why they haven't paired with him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it can be like targeted towards adults only. We don't have to target it towards children. You know, uh-huh. if you're worried about that, that's fine. Uh-huh. N- not everybody wants their kid to grow up to be an assassin. Okay. So I understand. But this man needs to be on the cover with doggies all over him. So you like John Wick, is uh, what you're saying? I think that I... If I look at all the characters from these action films, the characters, yeah, I feel like John Wick is my man. You know, like that. Fair enough. Hunky, sexy thing right there. Very cool. Revenge. All right, my number four is Skyfall, one of the best James Bond films ever in the history of the franchise with Daniel Craig. This is a follow-up to Casino Royale. 
And I think it pretty much is the one that helps form fully form the character of James Bond. You know, Casino Royale kind of took a step back at his early days. And this is the film that kind of makes James Bond James Bond. Mm. It's awesome. You have Javier Bardem as an incredible villain. That's one thing that these films have kind of lacked as a really great Bond villain for mm-hmm. quite some time. He's he's incredible in it and terrifying at times. Uh, Judy Dench is great in it. It has a fantastic theme song by Adele. One of the, one of the best, best yeah. theme songs right. of the entire history of the franchise. Just everything about this film. And you know what? I was really surprised by how much this film takes its time to get going. It takes over a half an hour for the plot to really get going in this. And for an action film, that is actually very unique. Because the genre tends to want to get to the next action beat. Boom, boom, boom. And keep us going. And so it sacrifices often story and character development. And I was really impressed. This one actually does not. So very cool. Love Elm Skyfall. My number four favorite action film of the decade. My number three is Revenge of 2018. So speaking of revenge, (laughs) this is a triple F rated film. Go watch this. It's worth buying. Own it. I like a blind buy. Yeah. There is blood, so be wary. Oh, it is so gory. Their cinematography, writing, performances, and symbolism is pristine. A woman goes with her married boyfriend to a weekend hunting trip. His two friends show up. There is so much I wish I could tell you about this film, but it's better to go in as cold as possible. A phoenix-like transformation for the female-led action star that rips the male gaze apart and empowers women along the way through the destruction of male toxicity. Talk about time's up. Go watch that shit. Mm. Very cool. My third favorite film, uh, action film of the decade, is... I swear this is the last one, guys. Uh-huh. Mission Impossible Fallout. Woo! Which I actually think is the best. Me too. And one of the best of the decade. Why? Not only does it have real subtle callbacks to every uh, every entry in the series in it, but everything like feels harder. Like the stunts feel harder. The punches feel harder. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt is recognizing, I'm getting too old for this shit, you know? Like, he doesn't get up as quickly as he used to, right? He's, like, exasperated sometimes <laughs> with real. his foes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool. And, of course, like, he doesn't dis- he doesn't pull any punches and disappoint with the stunt still. I mean, the guy, like, he's doing things where he ended up breaking his ankle, you know? Uh, he's working his ass off on these films. Oh, there's so many cool, cool moments. A return of the villain from Rogue Nation, and then some. It's just, it's just so really, so well done, and it is action film of the highest order. Like there are very few action films better than Mission Impossible, let alone any Mission Impossible film. But especially Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018. Well, I think there's something to be said about the franchise. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty pristine 
franchise. You like that word pristine today. It's my new one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And apparently there's two more coming. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I welcome it in 2021 and 2022. Okay. All right. My number two is Baby Driver from 2017. That's your second favorite action film. It's my second favorite. Because it's like... An action film. You seem surprised that it was on my list at all. Well, Tell- I was surprised that your list, were, like where my stuff is, is lower for you. All right. Well, why is it your second favorite? The beat and rhythm of this film keeps you attached to the screen. So don't forget to blink because I, I did at one point. <laughs> Twists and turns throughout the story keep you on the edge of your seat. One of the best bank robbery films of the decade. So I, I enjoyed this film. Go ahead and watch that one. That's also a good blonde bar. We you should have so? a list of like best blonde bars buys interesting that could be really fun it could be it could be so my second favorite action film of the decade is the best action comedy of the decade it is from 2012 it is 21 jump street which is absolutely brilliant you take a somewhat cheesy very sincere cop drama from the 80s as about undercover cops in high school trying to bust drug dealers and what do you do you make one of the most self-aware comedies that undercuts every single turn everything that's going to be badass every build-up you see in an action film this film undercuts if you're a fan of the buddy cop subgenre if you're a fan of action films i don't see how you can't appreciate what 21 jump street does and also ice cube is hilarious in oh this god movie. he's my favorite so funny yeah and and channing tatum this was kind of the start of channing tatum's explosion of his career mm-hmm. And he is hilarious and brilliant in this movie. And then, of course, you have actual character development, too, where you have, you know, these people who they were opposites in high school. They end up becoming best buds through police academy. And they go to uh, the other thing is they go to high school thinking they know what to expect. And it ended up being so different from when they're in high school. Every, Which I loved. Yeah. And this is by uh, Miller and Lord, by the way, who were titans of this decade, even though they they produced more than they directed. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They did these films. They did the Lego movie. Uh, they're just brilliant minds. They almost did a Star Wars movie. Maybe should have. Unfortunately, did not. But um, yeah, 21 Jump Street is a great film. And you're right. 22 Jump Street just falls a little short it's more cringeworthy than brilliant but there are really funny there really are so like as you started talking about 21 jump street i was thinking of 22 jump street and all the fun moments that happen yeah there's just not as much as in the first film at any rate 21 jump street is a blast hilarious and brilliant it's my second favorite film action film of the decade. Shannon, what is your... My number one is Spy from 2015. Oh uh-huh. my God. I love this film so much. It is hilarious. It stars Melissa McCartney, Rose Byrne, Jude Law, 
Big Bird, I mean Miranda Hart. Melissa is a desk agent that is, that is until she loses someone and must allow her full spy potential to come through to save the world against a crazy Roseburn and her nuclear weapon sale. The chemistry between Melissa, Rose, and Miranda is divine to watch, and I love watch I love listening to this film too. You love listening to this film. What do you mean? Well, so sometimes I'll watch it with my eyes and then sometimes I'll just listen to it in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the dialogue is so good. Yeah, it's very sharp. Absolutely. And I love watching the unrated version because there's like an extra, I think it's like an extra five it's or ten minutes. It's extra saucier. It's extra nice. <laughs> so, very cool. Yeah. All right. So my favorite action film of the decade is in fact Hannah. Lovely. Starring, of course, you mentioned Saoirse Ronan, also Eric Bana, Kate Blanchett, magnificent Kate Blanchett, is in this <laughs> film. No, this movie is extraordinary, hugely overlooked, uh, greatly over uh, or underappreciated. This is an existential, like hitman movie. Basically, this woman, this young gal, is is raised to be a fighter, right? metaphorically and literally right Mm -hmm. but she has no idea about like who she is outside of that and she has no idea about the world too and when she's let loose she's forced to kind of collide with 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 society right and and then it becomes very interesting there's there's a lot of thematics and metaphors in this film uh, there's even like kind of a fairy tale motif too that you could read into the film. This thing's operating on a whole other level while also having some incredible action and great music by the Chemical Brothers as well. Once that starts kicking off, it's like it just really moves. And also, it has kind of like this. What do you call it? circular sort of um, oh, camera work well there's that too because that I, almost made me i was gonna up. say like the way it starts and ends is is very similar too mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool this is just a really brilliant well made film it's from the director of atonement oh atonement. joe wright joe yeah. wright i was slipping on his name joe wright directed this um i'm actually surprised that there's a tv show based on it Seems kind of plucked out of obscurity uh, to have a TV show based on it. I don't know. Well, we should try it and see what we think. Yeah, I don't know if it's any good, but I love Hannah. Always been a champion in this movie. Blew my mind, and you should definitely seek it out. It is my favorite action film of the decade. And that'll about do it, I think. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So, what are your favorite action films of the decade? That was a lot of fun. Um, especially, uh, probably a lot less uh, work too compared to the previous list that we've done, huh? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I had a blast with the genre for sure. Feel free to email us your feedback. Also, one thing that is a new development is you can also shoot us over a donation uh, if you want to help us pay for. The, the cost of the podcast, the cost of the website, cost of going to see movies, what have you. Shoot us over a, a, a donation on PayPal to thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's much appreciated. I'm going to look to see if I can create an official donation page, but we'll see about that. Um, 
But uh, also, Shanna, before I go into all the other rigmarole, why don't you tell them where they can find you on the internet? You can find me at ShannaPaxton.com, and from there you can check out the social media channels that you want to follow. Speaking of social media channels, you can find The Gibson Review at Facebook, at Facebook.com slash The Gibson Review, and go to Instagram, go to The Gibson 99. I post uh, a lot of movie-related stuff there. Yeah, I actually like your Instagram account. Thanks. It's not like the most active. I don't post every single day, but um, I try to do what I can. I've been kind of slack in the past few days since you've had your accident. But um, you can also, of course, go to uh, the Gibson Review at Blogspot. Um, That's where you'll find all the past articles and stuff. You'll find the Best of 2010 series at thegibsonreview.com. Um, on the Blogspot page, too. Go ahead and check out the best uh, action films of the decade, as well as the previous articles there. Uh, subscribe to us on Spotify. iTunes is apparently going out the window, so I have to figure that out. But you can also find us on SoundCloud, too, for The Movie Lovers. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing Toy Story 4. Oh, my God! so excited we got a popcorn tin that is toy story 4 i am so pumped people and i am not so this will be a very interesting discussion i i think it'll be a very interesting discussion you know someone who's solely psyched for it and someone who is extremely wary being a huge fan of toy story 3 from 2010 We'll see what that looks like. And also, Film Phase, we'll be going back to our year by year. We'll be counting down our favorite films from 1985. So, until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.